This is Randy Wimmer and welcome to the inaugural podcast of the Entrepreneur Sound Off. Since this is our inaugural podcast, I know I'm supposed to do a couple things. The first thing I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to tell you a little bit about the podcast itself, what we're going to be talking about, who it may be relevant to. The second thing I'm supposed to be doing is I got to give you my origin story as if I'm a superhero in a Marvel movie. And that's just to give me some credibility, but I'm going to give you a different kind of origin story. I'm going to give you a little bit of the affected one, but then I'm going to give you my real credentials being able to host this podcast. So let's get started with what does this podcast address? In my capacity as founder of Government Contracting Academy, I get asked a ton of questions from aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners. And... Uh, I don't always get an opportunity to answer all of them. And I certainly don't get an opportunity to answer them as fully as what I would like to do. So this podcast is a way for me to take these questions that a lot of these aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners have and be able to dive a little bit deeper. And the reason why I want to do this is because when I was an aspiring entrepreneur, when I was trying to launch my very first company, I would go to the local bookstore. Now, this is before the internet was the vast source of information and misinformation that it is today. I used to go to the bookstore. I would look at these business books and they weren't very helpful. Now, they were great reads, and they were very interesting and insightful, but from a tangible, actionable standpoint, they didn't provide me much value. And here's why. I consider business books to fall into about one of three different categories. You know, uh, and it's all based upon who the author is. You've got the celebrity CEOs who were given, in many cases, <laughs> opportunities that normal people would only dream about having when they were launching their company. And they go on to launch a black swan company that becomes a unicorn, flashy IPO. They become a billionaire before they even monetize it and make their first dollar in profit. Now, believe me, those are fascinating stories. They really are. But for every person who tries to launch a unicorn company and become a billionaire before they monetize it, make a first dollar bill and profit, for every one of them, there's the entire state of New Hampshire of people who try to do that and failed miserably. So those books aren't really helpful for actual information to launch a company. The second type of book is written by motivational speakers. Now, these speakers are the ones who are trying to motivate you and, and trying to give you skill sets in order to help you just be successful in life. And believe me, these are great books too. But again, not much actionable information. These books are written by people like Tony Robbins, six foot seven tall, voice like a Greek god, uh, Hollywood good looks, and he's sitting on a $600 million empire. How did he get this money? Well, basically, he, he founded an industry, basically, of, of how to help people make more money. So unless you want to launch a company in the industry of telling people how to get rich, then his directly relevant experience is, is pretty negligible. And nowadays, there's also a, a third kind of uh, author that's trending in the business book section, 
And those are those green-eyed, snake-eating special operations warriors and Navy SEALs. They're writing books about leadership and relating how to do a snatch-and-grab operation in a hostile country and trying to relate that to, to business. And believe me when I say this, I have the utmost respect for these folks. As a Navy vet, as a, as a Naval Academy graduate, and a friend of both former and current Navy SEALs, buddy, I, I, I couldn't be happier that they're on our side. Let me just say it that way. Uh, they're impressive people, impressive people. But when it comes to, to learning profit and loss, uh, I'd rather take my advice from somebody who's actually had P&L experience. Those books are very fascinating, very helpful, but there's not much actionable in there. You know, there's not much tangible information that you can glean from them. So what I want to do is I want to give you that actionable, politically incorrect, frequently um, information that that's going to help the, the, the average, normal entrepreneur. Why? Because most entrepreneurs, successful ones, are the ones who launch a company out of their basement, their garage, or from their kitchen table, as in my case, and they go on to become you know, financially independent. Do they become billionaires? No. <laughs> Do they become, again, financially successful and multimillionaires? Yeah. That's the kind of person, that's the kind of CEO, that's the kind of founder that most people want to emulate. Books aren't written by those people. Why? Because who'd ever read a book written by a decamillionaire who launches a company that, you know, he sold for, you know, a handful of dollars after about five or six years, and then he went on to get a beach house and at a boat and hang out and say, oh, check the block, done, financial worries all taken care of for me and my kids. No, we don't have a jet, you know, but, you know, we, we have whatever we want and kids are well taken care of. That's kind of boring, uh, especially when you're talking about a, a Navy SEAL who goes into a foreign country and, you know, knocks out Osama bin Laden, you know, something like that. So uh, that's what I want to do. I want to provide information for the average <laughs> aspiring entrepreneur, the real ones. Should I say, not the average one. There's no such thing as an average entrepreneur. But I'm talking about the real entrepreneurs out there. So that's what uh, this podcast is all about. Now, there's no rules. I, I'm not going to put any bounds on this thing. Podcast could be 5, 10 minutes long, or it could be an hour and 5, 10 minutes long, depending on the topic. A lot of times I'm going to dive deep about an area that I feel really comfortable with, and at times I'll have a guest. Some of these guests will include current aspiring entrepreneurs uh, because they're in the foxholes right now. They're in the trenches battling it out day in and day out. They're the ones making it happen. They're the ones in the arena. They're the ones with the best firsthand real current experience to share with you. Sometimes I'll be talking about potential customers. Sometimes I'll be talking with senior business executives and, and large companies and getting their perspective. So I'm going to be all over the, the table because an entrepreneur can't be deep in any one particular area. They're, they're an inch deep and a mile wide. And that's what I'm hoping to do with this podcast. So I'm excited to get started. Hopefully you can persevere my bad grammar, my stuttering, my and us to get to the, to the real information. Now, a little bit about me. Well, I was 
born and raised in a log cabin, and I had to walk to school barefoot in the snow, uphill both ways. And <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my, my kids don't believe that story either. However, I was I was born and raised um, in, in somewhat of a you know poor family. Um, I grew up in southwestern Virginia in the Appalachian Mountain chain, and very 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 rural. My father worked at the local factory that made cigarette filters, and that factory looked and smelled exactly like you would expect a factory that made cigarette fi- filters to smell and look like. My mom, she stayed at home. We were a very traditional family, uh, plus it was also a necessity. She had seven kids. I was one of seven children. So you can kind of get a picture about you know how, how I was raised. And we didn't realize that we were poor. I didn't, I didn't realize that we were uh, not upper middle class probably until about halfway through my high school years. And then I you know, opened my eyes and I realized like, whoa, nobody's really going to college, you know, from my high school or, you know, the, the, the other local schools. And I quickly started thinking that maybe some of those opportunities for the, were only for the very beautiful people and we weren't the very beautiful people. I grew up in a culture that really had a lot of self-doubt. And I, there's no other way that I can explain it. It's just like when you look around your entire community, and you see that the only people who have college educations are your teachers and a handful of nurses and medical folks, and you don't want to be in the medical profession and you don't want to be a teacher, then why get a college degree? And that's kind of what what my options were. My father, he retired from the Navy as a, as a chief um, before he before he transplanted his family back to where he grew up, uh, which was again in southwestern Virginia in the Appalachian mountain chain. And I grew up listening to sea stories. Every day I was, I was hearing a sea story. My father loved the Navy, loved being a chief. And based upon a chief's sea stories, this is how I viewed the, the Navy chain of command. You had God and then under God was Navy chiefs, and then under them were the admirals. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that's the way most Navy chiefs tell the you know tell their stories. Uh, that and, and I won't lie to you that 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 may be more accurate than, than than fake. Having been in the Navy and knowing how much my my Navy chief kept me out of my uh, kept me out of trouble, kept me out of hack. Maybe that's not too far off from the truth. But I ended up applying to the Naval Academy because my father he encouraged me to do that said that the navy was a great deal and he didn't really truly understand what the naval academy was he just thought it was a commissioning source so he thought god damn randy you know i i saw a lot of really horrible officers and you know you'd be a lot better than them and if they could get commissioned you can too so i applied to the naval academy not really that it was actually you know a competitive uh university to be accepted to so ignorance was bliss. That's the only reason why I applied to the Naval Academy, and I got accepted. Uh, so I go to the Naval Academy, and that was actually my very first step in gaining a little bit of self-confidence that maybe I could be successful in life. And the reason how and why that happened is, is because at the Naval Academy, uh, you've got a few different types of people. You've got some people that are literally walking on water. 
I'm talking about these kids could go into any school in the world that they wanted to. Brilliant, athletic, leadership oozing out of their ears. And then they also had a few smocks, you know, like me. You know, we were the average guys. You know, we, we were somewhat well-rounded, but we didn't excel at any particular area. We were just, you know, average Joes. And I, I looked at the people who walked on water, and then I looked at us average Joes, and we put our pants on the same exact way. And I thought, like, hey. You know they're they're doing it and I'm doing it. Like maybe I can maybe I can achieve a few things in my life as well. So that was my first step into believing that I I could achieve something. Um, so I graduate going into the Navy and Navy's going to be in my life. And I keep that opinion that every single decision I make is to further my naval career until I had my first child. Once once I had my first son. It was tough enough for me to kiss the wife of goodbye and go away for six, nine months at a time. I didn't think I'd be able to do that with with kissing um, kissing my 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 baby, uh, you know, goodbye, and then then deploying for six, nine months at a whack. So I got out. I got the utmost respect for people who could do that. I just wasn't strong enough to do it. So utmost respect uh, respect for the people who can actually you know, live that lifestyle and they, they do that for our country. And I, again, I really appreciate them doing it. So I get out, but I make myself the deal that I would have to have enough money saved up that would count or compensate for missing out on me finishing up my 20 years in the military and getting a, a military retirement. So I put a lot of expectations on myself and I get out and reality hits me. It hits me squarely between the eyes. Uh, and I can remember the exact moment that the, that reality hit me. I'm standing at my local giant grocery store, and I got a bag, of, you know, a package of diapers and, and under one arm and another bag of diapers and another arm, and they're in different sizes. <laughs> and, I'm really, and, I'm, and I realized at that point, like, wow, I am just barely living paycheck to paycheck. How in the world am I ever, ever going to take care of my future, my kids' future? Because um, I, I am not on track. I'm just, I'm on track to just barely paying my bills. And I, I have a master's degree in operations research, which basically means that I got a degree in being a geek. Uh, so I, I do an analysis. And this is the most important analysis that I've ever done in my life. And that was what is what are my highest probabilities of attaining wealth? And it came down to two things. One is real estate investment, and then the other one was federal government contracting, you know, entrepreneurship. And I did both, and, and I, I've done okay in, in real estate, but I've really done okay in uh, federal government contracting. So what I, what I did is I just assumed that I would uh, apply to an MBA program that specializes in supporting the federal government and I would make that investment in myself and then leverage that knowledge into launching a federal government contracting company. Then I quickly realized that, wow, <laughs> there is not a single MBA program in existence that specializes on the world's largest trillion dollar a year budget customer, and that is the U.S. federal government. I'm not joking. Not a single MBA program specializes in that. Now, there are MBA programs that specializes in everything else. 
automotive industry, medical industry, hospitality industry, entertainment industry, consulting industry, technology industry, you name it, there's a there's an MBA program that specializes in it, but not federal government contracting. Now, there's uh, federal government contracting training programs, and the, uh, the high watermark, the gold standard in that industry is a company called Shipley. And Shipley, they have this massive 100 plus step process to win a contract um, that is based upon investing somewhere between one and 3% of the, the, the contract's five-year revenue. Now, if you're a big company and you are bidding on a billion dollar contract, then you're expected to have a 10 to $30 million bid and proposal budget to pursue it. That's Shipley's target market. Those companies who have 10 to $30 million that they're investing in a bid effort. And they're, so all of their information, all of their training is targeted to, for these multi-billion dollar bids. Now, um, subsequently, I, I've been on both sides of that fence. I've been in the big business side of the house, and I've been on the small business side of the house as an entrepreneur and as a small business owner. And those are completely different ways to win business um, as a big, big company and a small company. Completely different. So, again, I had no way to learn this knowledge. The only way I could learn it was through on-the-job training. So I specifically chose jobs in industry where I felt like I could learn this stuff. And that's what I, that's what I did. So I job hopped. I launched my company in 2003, Inlick Strategies, and it failed miserably. But again, it gave me my knowledge gaps it, and excruciating details. And all it cost me was a few bruises and all of them to my ego, but I learned what I didn't know. So then what I did is I went out there and I job hopped it to get that information. In 2006, I felt like I had enough information to give it another try, and I did that. So that was my 2006 relaunch of Analytics Strategies, and I had marginal success. I became my own company uh, employee. I had a one-person subcontract. Um, at one particular time, I had even won a two-person subcontract in addition to myself. Well, within three years, both of those subcontracts ended, and now, all of a sudden, I don't have anything. I don't have any revenue coming in. I don't have a job. I don't have anything. So I'm faced with a very, very, very sobering decision. Do I go out and get a real job as, a, as somebody else's employee, or do I give government contracting entrepreneurship one more try? And I did that. And at that point, I quickly realized that I wasn't putting the appropriate amount of effort into being successful. I was putting minor league effort into trying to make the major leagues, and it wasn't working. And that's why my 2006 relaunch of Analytics Strategies was unsuccessful. I had gotten, kind of gotten lazy. I really did. And I'm embarrassed to admit that, but... At that point, I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life. I felt really excited and felt good about myself being an entrepreneur. I was working for myself. I was taking a lot of time off. I worked when I wanted to. And like I said, I was really enjoying myself and making more money than I'd ever made in my entire life doing it until it ended. And I didn't really 
I really wasn't putting the effort, the effort into being successful that I needed to. And I didn't really understand what that took. With my back up against the wall in 2010, no money coming in whatsoever. I am putting major league effort <laughs> into these and my bids and proposals. And I, I lose the first one, but I win the second one. And the second one is worth $15 million. $15 million and I managed that thing over a 33% profit margin. I made $5 million on that contract alone. And then I went to go on to win about a quarter billion dollars with analytic strategies over the next six years. And I sold my company for eight figures. And uh, then I went on to sell a couple more companies. That's my origin story. Most of my experiences within the federal government. However, during the past several years, my family, my sons and I, we have launched two successful social impact companies and a highly successful nonprofit organization that was actually awarded the President George H.W. Bush Points of Light Award, our uh, nation's most prestigious award for um, volunteerism and service. I have some experience on both sides, but I won't lie to you, I'm, I'm really heavy on the federal government side of the house. And that is my origin story. It's not quite as exciting as Spider-Man's or Batman's or Superman's. I was, I was not bitten by a radioactive spider. However, <laughs> I guess the closest thing to, to, to my origin story is, is I, I was dealing with some, some toddler's radioactive diapers and realized like, wow, you know, I, I, need to, I need to develop some entrepreneurial superpowers. I guess that's the closest thing to a Marvel origin story that I can come up with. That's our inaugural podcast here. Uh, that's about a, a, a bit about me. It's a bit about what we're going to be discussing. But the next topic is going to deal with the touchiest, filliest thing that we're going to be discussing during this entire podcast. But it's probably the most important and it's the first thing you do as an entrepreneur. And that is dream. Dream about success, setting goals. And I'm going to tell you a little trick that I developed to help me accomplish my dreams and goals. Now, it's not politically correct. If you are a psychologist or if you're an HR person that deals with workplace culture and all this kind of stuff, you may not want to listen because uh, you'll probably want to reach through your, your, your speakers and try to choke me, but it works. Let's talk about that next time. Again, I really appreciate you joining me in this inaugural podcast. I hope you stay with me for a bit. I promise to add value to your life. Talk to you soon.